This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. In sports, as in life, in so many aspects of life, the cream tends to rise to the top. Professional athletes are who they are because they do something that all of us do. At one time or another, we all play sports, basketball, baseball, softball, tennis, golf, football, or we have all played these sports at some point in our lives. Many of us still do. And for the most part, we are all limited at those sports, which is why we're in such awe of these professional athletes who are the absolute best. Now, how do they get there? A lot of it is God-given ability. A lot of it is hard work on top of that God-given ability. Some of it is luck and finding the right situation. Um, Even among the professional athletes, all of whom people like you and me cannot relate to, cannot relate to their skills, among that group of professional athletes, there's an elite group, the best of the best. The group that not only are normal people like you and I in awe of, but the other professional athletes are in awe of these guys as well. Now, in the span of a generation of watching sports, and my life has spanned two generations, if you're lucky in the span of one generation, you'll get to see a handful of those guys like Jeter, Trout, A-Rod, Brady, Manning, Rice, Jordan, Kobe, Shaq, LeBron. Those are the names in sports from the past two generations, and there are others, but those are the names that are held up above all the rest forever. They're discussed in reverential tones. Stories of their careers, stories of their accomplishments passed down from generation to generation. It's one of the things that sports and being a sports fan is based on, those stories. These names that I mentioned are in many ways sacred to the fabric of sports. And these names are very rarely and almost never ridiculed or made fun of. Now, for the last three years, actually beginning exactly three years ago on this very day, we have actually had one of those athletes, one of the best of the best, whose exploits have put him in the exclusive group of the greatest to ever play his sport. We've had this guy performing right here in New York. And through a series of bad career decisions, a series of two sensitive tweets, a series of, well, frankly, too many times not coming through in a big spot. Kevin Durant has managed to extricate himself from that group of immortals and turn himself into, let's be honest, he's turned himself into a punchline. Now, if you just take Kevin Durant's career at face value, what is he? He is, and this is now an overused expression in basketball and has trickled into other sports, But he is a unicorn. And it's interesting because the unicorn nickname first became popular referring to Chris Stapp's Porzingis. And it was Kevin Durant who said Porzingis is a unicorn because we had never seen anything like him before when Porzingis was at his best coming into the league. Look, Durant is 
as smart a basketball player about basketball as you'll find. I mean, listen to his post-game press conferences. He's pouring through the stat sheet. He looks at the game analytically like a coach. Nobody's questioning his knowledge of the game of basketball. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff with Kevin Durant that we have been able to question and we continue to question about his career. And whenever that career comes to an end and Kevin Durant, as you may have heard, has four years remaining on his contract that is just kicking in now with the Brooklyn Nets, he's going to be 34 years old on opening night of the coming basketball season. And whenever that career ends, a couple of things are certain. He's an MVP. You can't take that away from him. He's a two-time NBA champion. You can't take that away from him. He's a two-time NBA Finals MVP. You can't take that away from him. At six foot 11, seven feet, however tall he is, the way he handles the ball, the way he is almost unstoppable at times when he has the ball in his hands because of where he shoots the ball from and his accuracy and his efficiency and the way that he can get his own basket anytime he wants. Oh, and by the way, he is an above-average defender, very good rim protector, and has been throughout his entire career. So if you just take that along with the accolades, along with the stats, you would say this is one of the 15 greatest players of all time, of all time. And I did my list a couple of weeks ago when the Warriors were wrapping up the NBA championship and Curry won his NBA Finals MVP, and he had that historic Game 4 performance, which got the Warriors back in the series and turned the entire thing around, that 43-point night against Boston. And after that night, I had to redo my all-time rankings. And Curry, on my list anyway, and many other people's lists, jumped above several all-time great players. Among them, his former teammate, Kevin Durant. Now, Durant is still up there. He's still up there with the luminaries of the game. But here's what Durant has done. Durant is a joke. Did you see the back page of the post today? Thin man has no heart. Now let's go through. Let's just say I have Durant 15th. I don't have the list in front of me. But he's roughly 15th. My 15th greatest player of all time. Let's go through the names I have in front of him. You tell me if you could ever, in your wildest dreams... Imagine a back page of a major tabloid or publication making fun of one of those guys in that manner. Jordan, LeBron, Kobe, Wilt, Bill Russell, Kareem, Larry, Magic, Tim Duncan, Oscar Robertson, Jerry West... Stephen Curry, Hakeem Olajuwon. That's the group that Kevin Durant belongs in. And he has managed to extricate himself from that group with bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And the latest, of course, is before his four-year extension, which will pay him about $50 million a year even kicks in. Before that kicks in, he has asked the Brooklyn Nets to trade him, the latest in a series of bad decisions. The first and most glaring bad decision 
that has tarnished his legacy, ironically, is the decision that led him to his, up until now, only two NBA championships. And that was the decision to leave the Oklahoma City Thunder and sign as a free agent with a team that had just beaten his in the playoffs, coming back from a 3-1 to deficit, and a team that had won 73 regular season games the season prior. He miscalculated that situation. He thought, A, he would get no pushback for joining a championship-caliber team and winning his ring that way. He was wrong on that front. He thought that by winning the NBA Finals MVP two years in a row, which he ended up doing, he would not only be seen as the face of the Golden State Warriors franchise, but be regarded as the best player in the NBA because both of those seasons that he won the NBA Finals MVP, he beat LeBron James in the Finals. That didn't happen. That didn't happen because Durant's team was four times more talented than LeBron James's team. And the first year, anyway, James's team actually gave them a somewhat competitive series. The second year was a four-game sweep after the J.R. Smith debacle in Game 1. So neither of those things happened, which led to bad decision number two. And when you just break it down, I heard somebody say this perfectly. Just listen to these words. Kevin Durant willingly left Stephen Curry to go play with Kyrie Irving. Say that again. Say that a couple of times and let that sink in. We all just watched what Curry did in the playoffs and in the NBA Finals. You tell me who's a better teammate in sports, let alone the NBA, Who's a better teammate than Stephen Curry? Think back to the beginning of the NBA playoffs, the first round series when Golden State, as the three seed in the West, was taking on Denver. Curry missed the last month of the regular season with a knee injury after Marcus Smart collided with him in a game. Curry came back for the start of the playoffs. He came off the bench for that first round series. Here's the 12th greatest player of all time, still in the prime of his career, and when the playoffs started and his head coach said, hey, Steph, I'm going to ease you back in. I'm going to bring you in off the bench for these first few games. He's like, yeah, no problem. Whatever you need, coach. Seriously, think about that. And think about today's NBA and how many players would have so willingly done that. And Kevin Durant left that guy to go team up with, I mean, if Kyrie Irving's not the worst teammate in sports, He's on the short, short list of worst teammates in sports. I mean, anybody at this point who would hitch their wagon and pin their potential success on Kyrie Irving is out of their mind. And that's what Durant did in the prime of his career. Yes, coming off of an injury, but age-wise in the prime of his career. And in the pockets of action where he was playing for the Nets these last two years, he proved that he is still in the prime of his career. And he left Curry to team up with Kyrie Irving. And I think we can all say, and the tea leaves have been there to be read, and the breadcrumbs have been there the entire time, I think once and for all, we can all definitively say this Brooklyn Nets tenure of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving under Sean Marks' stewardship has been an abject failure. It has been a disaster.
It's one of the most colossal disasters I can ever remember a professional sports team becoming. And I think the last time I was on the air was two weeks ago here. It was Father's Day. And the point I was trying to get across that day over and over, and I have harped on this for weeks and for months, and I've had callers agree with me, and I have had callers, the Kevin Durant uh, backers, vehemently disagree with me. But this is what happens when you give control of your franchise over to the players. The, um, the, and, and by the way, this isn't a shut up and dribble, okay? The players do what they're great at. They are great at playing, okay? Sean Marks does what he excels at, puts together a team. That's why Sean Marks is in his role and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the other guys in uniform are in their roles. Now, can they have input? Sure. I think any team in this era of sports would be silly not to at least engage in conversations with a star player the likes of Kevin Durant, but it was too much. It was too much with these guys. Will they play? Won't they play? Is Kyrie Irving going to get vaccinated? Is Kyrie Irving going to get take two weeks off for personal reasons and not explain why he's not playing? I mean, you look at the numbers for their three years in Brooklyn. The team played 236 regular season games. Kyrie Irving played in 103 of them. Kevin Durant played in 90 regular season games as a net. He got paid for 236 of them. He ruptured his Achilles in Game 5 of the 2019 NBA Finals. It was one of the most valiant efforts I've seen a professional athlete give on a big stage. He worked his tail off after hurting his heel earlier in the playoffs. He worked his tail off to get back out there because he knew and his team knew and we all knew that in 2019, Durant could put the Warriors over the top of the Toronto Raptors and win their third consecutive NBA championship. He gave it a go. He went up for a jumper. He crumbled to the ground. He ruptured his Achilles. His season was done. He played. He missed the entire next season. The Brooklyn Nets paid him top dollar for missing the entire next season. For a player as great as Kevin Durant, we understand that is the cost of doing business. But they paid him, what, $35, $40 million, knowing he wasn't going to play for an entire season. They still paid him $35 to $40 million for that season. And then he played the two subsequent seasons. He led the franchise to exactly one, not championship, not finals appearance. He led the franchise to exactly one playoff series win. And now with four years left on his contract, he has asked for a trade. There's only one word that I can think to describe Kevin Durant right now. And it's weak. Kevin Durant is weak. What he did going from Oklahoma City to Golden State was weak. He remade a lot of the hit that his image took by winning the back-to-back finals MVPs and trying to come back in that 2019 finals. He earned back a lot of his reputation in his years in Golden State. 
And then he went to Brooklyn. And that was weak. And here we are again, three years to the day. Remember, I've referred to it countless times. Jacob knows he's produced a million of my shows. I have referred to this back page countless times over the last three years. July 1st, 2019, back page of the New York Daily News. A picture of Barclays Center underneath the headline, The Mecca. Three years ago today, The Mecca, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving were going to turn Barclays Center into the Mecca. Instead, three years after they decided to come to Brooklyn, they have once again turned this Brooklyn Nets franchise into the one of the biggest disgraces in the National Basketball Association. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. I remember I was doing a lot of shows in between the end of the 2019 finals and the uh, 2019 free agency period, about that two-week period when it was unknown where you know Durant was going to go, where Irving was going to go. And let's go back to that summer, that uh, those last two weeks of June in 2019, because any Knicks fan will remember that the hope that entire season was to sign both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I mean, the Knicks and their fans essentially wanted to do exactly what the Brooklyn Nets ended up doing, which was unbelievably surprising at the time. I mean, the Brooklyn Nets as a franchise, whether they were in Brooklyn or whether they were in New Jersey, had never shown any inclination of being a franchise capable of bringing in the top two free agents in the NBA. And and even rewind further into that regular season, there was the back page of one of the papers. It was right after the Porzingis trade when the Knicks had officially cleared enough cap space for two max free agents. And that's what they were trying to accomplish with the Porzingis trade. They had a disgruntled superstar who wanted out. They traded him along with Tim Hardaway Jr. and several other contracts to clear the cap space while bringing in some future draft assets to get rid of their disgruntled superstar. In hindsight, the Porzingis trade, it wasn't a win for Dallas. If you're have to pick a winner and a loser between the Knicks and the Mavericks. I think the Knicks are the winner of the Kristaps Porzingis trade because they got assets out of it. Now, they've yet to turn their assets into anything really substantial or meaningful yet, but the jury is still out on that. But after the Porzingis trade, there was the back page of the paper, and it was all in Knicks uniforms. It was Kevin Durant, it was Kyrie Irving, and at the time, the Knicks were in tank mode and were going to have a great chance at winning the draft lottery. They won 17 games that season. The third player on the back page was Zion Williamson. Obviously, the Knicks did not win the lottery that year. New Orleans won the lottery. The Knicks picked third and ultimately selected R.J. Barrett. But when the season ended, there was still the hope, or as the season was coming to its conclusion, there was still the hope that Durant and Kyrie Irving would come to New York. And that all changed in Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Once Durant crumbled to the ground with his ruptured Achilles, I, for one, said that you can't sign Kevin Durant if you're the Knicks. The Knicks had waited so long. They have torn down and tried to build back up unsuccessfully and torn down again and bottomed out and traded the one really tradable asset they had in Chris Stapp's Porzingis. And I felt strongly that you couldn't buy an entire season waiting for a guy who you don't know how good he's going to be when he comes back because that just pushes the timeline down the road an extra year and the Knicks and the Knicks fans had been waiting enough and 
to be honest with you, I kind of have wavered over whether or not that was the right opinion over the years because when Durant has played, he has proven that he is still, at times, the best player in the NBA, the best player in the world, perhaps. I mean, think about last year in the playoffs in the second round against the Bucks. You know, the Nets blow through the Celtics in round one, beat them in five games. They embarrassed them. Then the first two games against Milwaukee at Barclays Center, they embarrassed them. They're up two games to nothing without James Harden. Harden hurt his hamstring 40 seconds into that series, even without him. They ran the Bucks out of Barclays Center in games one and two. They let their guard down in game three. They let the Bucks win an ugly game. And then everything changed in game four in the second quarter when Kyrie Irving stepped on Giannis's foot and badly sprained his ankle, and he was done for the series. So now it was on Durant without Harden and without Irving. And to Harden's credit, he did come back for games five, six, and seven. He was clearly compromised. He was more of a decoy than anything, but at least James Harden knows how to play. It was entirely on Kevin Durant to win that series. And Kevin Durant won game five against the eventual NBA champs at Barclays Center. Game six, the Bucks won, setting up one of the great sports atmospheres I've ever been a part of. Game seven, Nets Bucks last season. I was in the building covering it. And it was just an, and especially coming off of COVID, these were the first few weeks and months in which fans were allowed back in stadiums at full capacity and not wearing masks. And it really did start to feel like old times. There was a huge sense in that building of, God, we missed this. This is one of the things that was taken away from us as sports fans during COVID. And, and Durant nearly single-handedly won that game also. I mean, he hit just an incredible shot. And we've heard it time and time again. Well, if his shoe size was one size smaller then his foot wouldn't have been on the line the two would have been a three the Nets would have won the game on the Durant three-pointer and gone on and I, I think in my opinion won the NBA championship last season but they didn't but they didn't and that was their high moment and that was their high point so my point is Durant ended up being a lot better than I thought he was going to be coming off of that Achilles injury but he's still a guy who all right He's played 90 games in the last three seasons, 90 out of 236. You want to take away the first season because we knew he was out for the year? All right, take that away. Well, he's played 90 out of the last 164 games. 90 out of 164. That's not a lot. That's pretty much a part-time player. So here you have a guy making $50 million a year. He's going to be 34 years old on opening day, opening night. He has played roughly 50% of his team's games over the last two seasons. And he has, <laughs> this is the laughable part. He has the nerve to demand a trade. In what other business, in what other walk of life, and I'm not one of these guys who likes to compare regular jobs to professional athletes. It's a completely different thing. But just think about, hear me out for a second. In what other walk of life is it appropriate for a guy with that kind of leverage, which, if I'm hearing things correctly, is no leverage at all, to demand a trade? I mean, for Seinfeld fans out there, it's something that George Costanza would have a bright idea to do. I mean, it's that ridiculous. Now, plenty of reaction, as you might expect, um, from Kevin Durant's trade request. There's also the Kyrie Irving piece. He opted into 
his player option. So he will be on the Brooklyn Nets, or at least to start the season. He's a member of the Brooklyn Nets organization right now. Um, let's take the Durant piece of this. Here's Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN on SportsCenter on why KD wanted out of Brooklyn. Kevin Durant wanted to try to get Kyrie Irving a long-term deal in Brooklyn, uh, just like Kyrie Irving wanted it. Uh, they did not get it from the organization. I think once he had to opt into that contract and essentially was playing on an expiring contract, even at that point, the communication between the organization and Kevin Durant had really ceased to exist. And even after he opted in, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving have not been engaging with the organization. There was a sense around Brooklyn and a sense around the league as teams were preparing to make offers that Kevin Durant was going to ask out uh, at some point in the offseason. And I think so much of it, you talk to people around Kevin Durant, the disappointment around this team, the underachieving of this era, and then the Golden State Warriors winning a championship this year in the aftermath of Durant leaving. And I think all that came with that, the criticism, the second-guessing, all of that contributed to what happened today when I'm told Kevin Durant called Joe Sy, the Nets owner, Mm -hmm. and told him essentially, I need a change of scenery, I want you to trade me. I mean, the thing about it is, it all makes sense to me, Woj's explanation for how this all came about, but he's doing the same thing again. I mean, let's look at what the Nets could be if Durant doesn't demand that trade yesterday, okay? Or I don't I don't think he demanded. That's not fair. I, it sounds to me he had an amicable conversation with the owner and he requested a trade. So I want to be clear and I want to be fair to Durant. There's a difference between demanding a trade and requesting a trade. So let's use the word request. But if he doesn't request the trade, what are the Brooklyn Nets next season? Well, Kyrie Irving can play a full season, and when healthy, he's still one of the best players in the NBA. And Kevin Durant, if he could stay healthy, could play a full season. He's one of the best players in the NBA. The only thing, all that criticism, I'm sure is getting to him. Golden State winning the championship before and after he got there is a huge hit to Durant. It's a huge hit to his legacy. Durant's uh, critics, myself included, were celebrating when Golden State won because this was our opportunity to say, see, we told you so. You only went there for the championship and you have never won a championship except for those years in Golden State. And then they go ahead and they win it again after he left. But the only thing that can overcome that and change the public perception, which is extremely important to Kevin Durant, and if you don't believe me, look at the way he interacts with fans or media members who are critical of him on social media. He is very sensitive to criticism about himself. The only way to put that criticism away would be to put his head down, come back to Brooklyn, team up with Kyrie Irving as two of the as one of the most talented tandems in the entire NBA and get to work this coming season. They're not that far away with those two guys. Yes, it was a flame out against Boston in the first round of the playoffs, but let's rewind to game 1 at TD Garden. The Nets almost won the game. Jason Tatum caught the ball, spun, and laid it in off the glass while Kyrie Irving stood there watching it happen at the buzzer of Game 1. If that didn't happen, Brooklyn wins Game 1 on the road, and that is a completely different series. So they weren't that far away. But again, I refer you to today's New York Post. The back page. 
thin man, in this case Kevin Durant, has no heart. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Give us a couple minutes. Uh, we'll get to your calls. But first, uh, I'm going to bring in a good friend of mine, Tommy Beer, who covers the Knicks, covers the NBA, the author and the host of the What's on Tap with Tommy Beer newsletter and podcast, and also great follow on Twitter at Tommy Beer. Uh, Tommy, what's going on, my friend? Busy couple of days for you. Yeah, not much to talk about uh, last over the last 24 hours, Pat. How are you going to fill the time today? There's you know nothing going on in the NBA. No, no trades or or free agent signings or anything. You you keeping busy? The the Knicks just got the point guard that fans have been waiting what at least 10 years for, and I don't even think I mentioned the name Jalen Brunson <laughs> in the first hour of the show. <laughs> I think that that about sums it up. That about says it all. Let's start there. Let's start with the Knicks, um, you know, because we do dabble in the Knicks from time to time here on 98.7 ESPN New York. As a, uh, as a scholar and a proud graduate of the College of the Holy Cross, um, what grade would you give the Knicks after the first day plus of free agency? Good question, Pat. I think a lot of it comes down to the moves that they make subsequent to this kind of first wave. Um, I would give them, but I'm not going to dodge your question, I'll give them a Solid B, maybe a B minus, um, you know, somewhere in that range. Um, if I wanted to be a tough grader, um, you know, maybe a C plus. But again, that could get boosted up depending on on how they kind of flesh things out here. Um, as you mentioned, Jalen Brunson's the, the centerpiece. The Knicks have needed a point guard, um, you know, basically since uh, you and I were in school. Uh, you know, going back to uh, our college days. Um, you know, it's so so. They have addressed that 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 situation. They you know they they added a point guard that's going to provide stability, that can score in bunches, that is creative, um, that has the New York tri-state area roots. We obviously know the connective tissue between his father and his agent and his and and and, and Leon Rose, the team president. Um, so there's a lot to like there. Um, but but keep in mind, they did pay over 100 million dollars. Uh, Brunson is actually the first player. Um, in NBA history, to sign a, uh, a contract uh, over $100 million to have never made an All-Star game. Um, does he have that kind of upside All-Star potential? Possibly. I, I think it's probably a bit of a stretch. Um, but that doesn't take away from the fact that the Knicks addressed the position of need. Yes, they may have slightly overpaid, um, but we've seen some of the other contracts that have been handed out, um, so I can't uh, get too upset about it. Um, and, and I really like the Isaiah Hartenstein um, uh, addition as well. That's kind of that's, – talk about something that's flown under the radar. Um, that's the big man that they got from Los Angeles, the seven-footer, can pass a little bit, can you know, potentially shoot the three and stretch the floor a bit. Um, so I really like him as a backup. Yeah, that was a sneaky signing because obviously the two names you heard leading up to this were Jalen Brunson and what's going to happen with Mitchell Robinson, who they also re-signed, and he's back in the mix as well. You know, it seems to me, especially with Brunson and Hartenstein, last offseason was a swing and a miss pretty much across the board. Um, you know, Rose yep. is still with the team. He was one of the free agent signings, and even his season was derailed um, because of injuries, but that's always um, – that's always a risk with Derrick Rose. But the other thing about last year's guys, they just didn't seem to be fits with the coach's system. And Brunson and Hartenstein seem to fit that bill. They seem to be Tom Thibodeau kind of guys. Is that fair to say? 
Absolutely. Um, while they're not the, the well, Brunson is not a, a you know a, a real known for his defense. Um, he does. He's not afraid to stick his nose in the air and, and blow up screens and fight through picks things along those lines. Um, Hartenstein is one of those guys that's really a versatile defender. He can switch pick and rolls at the top of the key. Um, he can defend the rim. He's actually uh, opponent shot under forty eight percent at the rim with, with Hartenstein as the primary defender last season. That was actually the best mark in the league, just ahead of Rudy Gobert and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. So that kind of gives you some idea of the defensive impact he has on the on the floor when, when he's on the court. Um, so, yes, uh, in that respect. And the other thing um, that you know in terms of Tibbs' system, those guys excel in pick and roll. Uh, Brunson as a pick and roll ball handler um, and uh, Isaiah as the pick and roll screener, as the roll man. Um, both of those guys were in the top 90th percentile in terms of efficiency and, and, and points per possession, uh, points per playoff pick and rolls. Um, so, yes, there's definitely reason to believe that those guys will fit in well in the Thibodeau system. You made it sound like the Knicks aren't done. I don't know how much more they can do. So let me ask this two ways. What else would you like to see them do, Tommy? And what else can they do? Sure. Well, obviously, the, 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 you know, the, converse, the, the thing that's going to dominate sports talk radio for the next week or so and until we have some official word out of Utah is what to do about Donovan Mitchell. Do they push all their chips to the middle of the table? Because that's what, that's what it's going to take. We saw what the incredible haul that's, uh, that the Jazz got back for Rudy Gobert. That's three unprotected first-round picks, another top-five protected pick, three rotation players, including Pat Beverly, uh, Beasley, and uh, Jared Vanderbilt. So um, you can imagine, you know, if they got that for 30-year-old Rudy Gobert, who's obviously a tremendous player, um, you can you know what they're going to anticipate receiving in return for Donovan Mitchell, who's 25, a three-time All-Star, um, kind of the splashier, sexier player um, that, that any franchise would love to have. Um, so the question is, you know, uh, the Knicks have positioned themselves, and we know when Leon Rose took the job, one of the things he assuredly told James Dolan was, listen, I'm going to get you a star. We've been star chasing for the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. We've, we've never really uh, been able to come away with that guy that we've been targeting. Um, I have the connections. I have the opportunity. So I'm going to uh, do what I can to really get a superstar here in New York. He's built up a war chest of picks. Uh, the Knicks have nine first-round draft picks over the next five years. The only team in the NBA with more future firsts is the OKC Thunder. Um, they have a ton of second-rounders still. Uh, and they have a young, uh, uh, they have a roster full of kind of young, promising players on affordable contracts. The IQs, the Obi Toppins, uh, the Quinton Grimes. Um, so it, it'll be very interesting to see, you know, how Leon Rose approaches these negotiations. Because, again, is is Donovan Mitchell the guy that can kind of be the the best player on a championship team? Probably not, you know. Um, but can he? It, will he put the Knicks in contention to be a really good team? Yeah, um, surrounded by the right pieces. So it's a fascinating discussion, um, and and one I'm sure you know we'll go back and forth about a little bit. Tommy, do you think the Knicks could get Donovan Mitchell? And look, he's got a lot of shortcomings defensively. I'm certainly not in love with him. But he's obviously a talented offensive player. But do you think they could get him without R.J. Barrett being in the trade? It's a good question. Um, I'll I'll put it to to you this way, Pat. I'm not sure I'd be really dead set against keeping R.J. Barrett out of the trade. I know that's going to ruffle some feathers with a lot of Knicks fans. The the situation you got to keep an eye on with R.J. Barrett and keep in mind is you're going to have to pay him max money next number. You're going to have to pay him a max extension. Um, Is he worth it? Yeah, I, I guess. 
probably, if I had two guns in my head, I'd probably do it. Um, but, you know, he's kind of, I think his ceiling is probably the second best player on a good team. You know, ideally the third best player on a great team. Um, so it's tough to give those guys max money. Um, that being said, he's handled New York, um, tremendous upside. But he is, again, you talk about Mitchell's flaws, he has some flaws as well, inefficient offensively, hasn't quite taken the steps defensively that we'd like to see uh, over the first couple seasons. Um, so I, obviously the Jazz are going to, you know, it, it, it want him included in the, in the trade package along with, you know, four or five first-rounders, maybe, in a, you know, maybe OB, maybe IQ. Um, I think if push came to shove, it would depend on, on other offers, but I don't think it'd be a deal-breaker. I think if you put Toppin, you know, Endor, OB, Endor, Grimes, along with, you know, four, say, four first-round picks, depending on protections, you could maybe get away with it because obviously the Jazz understand that they're going to have to make a sizable investment in R.J. Barrett. So I guess it kind of depends on what they view uh, Barrett's uh, kind of value um, going forward. Tommy Beer is the author and the host of the What's on Tap with Tommy Beer newsletter and podcast about the Knicks and the NBA at large. So what what is the current status of RJ's contracts this offseason going forward? Yeah, so he's uh, under contract next season for around $9 million, certainly an affordable contract. And the Knicks don't have to offer an extension. Uh, they can uh, choose to, uh, obviously, they would choose to exercise his rights. So he would be a restricted free agent. If they don't extend him this offseason, he would be a restricted free agent the next season. So then they have they have at least two more years um, of him under their control um, before he would ever hit unrestricted free agency. It's almost unfathomable that it would get to that point. Um, so the Knicks don't have to have their hands forced this summer, um, but next summer is when he would hit restricted free agency. And obviously at that point, um, you know, but again, would that, would that cause a little bit of attention if they don't offer him the max? Uh, we know Zion just signed his. We know John Morant just signed his. And RJ, for better or for worse, and, and one of the reasons he's you know he, he's as good as he is and has been as good as he is is because he feels he's on their level, probably thinks he's better than those guys. Um, so you know him and his agent are going to say, listen, um, let's get this thing done. We, we believe our, you know, we believe Barrett's a, a, a guy you're going to build your franchise around. So show him that you're secure and that you love him and that you want to keep him here long term. And let's get everybody on the same page and, and build this thing going forward. So um, does Leon Rose push back and say, you know, give us another year or we'll give you, you know, 90 percent of what we, you know, of what the max would be. Um, that'll, th- those are the kind of things we'll keep an eye on over the next few months. Uh, you assume that they'll have it settled one way or the other. Uh, prior to, I think the date for um, that he can sign the extension, uh, the, the the extension would be the day before opening night. So you're you're thinking like mid October is when this thing could get pushed out to. You look at the rotation as it stands right now, Tommy, and basically you replace one of your favorites, Alec Burks, who was the starting point guard last <laughs> year with with Jalen Brunson in that spot. Now that Mitchell Robinson's back, you assume the rest of the starting five for now is the same, and then you you go on and. You know, Tibbs has gone from anywhere from an eight to a ten-man rotation. Derrick Rose's health is a question mark. Uh, you have Hartenstein now as your backup center. You still have Obi as your backup power forward, and that, then you have the wings, and you have Cam Reddish, you have Emmanuel Quickly, and you have Quinton Grimes. Especially if Rose is healthy, which I think all Knicks fans hope he is, because I still think he has something to offer if healthy. All three of those mm-hmm. guys can't get regular minutes. Uh, it's it's a very confusing situation. We know the issues with Reddish last year, 
Um, so yeah, I would be so you know I wouldn't certainly wouldn't be shocked if they dealt one of those guys. Probably the most likely candidate to be traded is Cam Reddish. Never seems like he kind of hit it off with Tibbs last year. Um, so we'll see if they can get on the same page in training camp. But th- that's a name that has already been floated around. Um, but you're right, you know, given all the uh, you know the kind of the excess of depth. Um, you know, whether they can, you know, the other thing is with Mitchell, that probably clears up some of that. Um, you know, you, you, you maybe include Fournier, you know, because you got to, you know, you got to get to 35 million in cap space. So if they trade for a guy like Mitchell, um, you know, you'd probably have to include Fournier. And the other issue, you know, kind of, you know, lurking in the background is what happens with Randall. Do you get the, the you know, the all NBA 2021 version or do you get the, the thumbs down 21-22 version? Um, that certainly took a bit of a regression. And that's complicated by the fact that Obi played so well over the last few weeks of the season. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's odd that the team's best player is the player that most fans want traded. You know, if you, if you follow Nick's Twitter, um, you know that, they, that mo- a lot of fans, I, I certainly wouldn't say most, but I'd say a healthy majority would prefer to see the team trade Randall and kind of open up that starting position for Obi and, ru- and run with the young guys, uh, you know, especially now that you have Brunson that's 25. Things have a lot of you know you know young uh, a young core in place there with Brunson and Op uh, RJ um, you throw Hartenstein in the mix um, so there's there's a lot to like there from a youth perspective. Tommy, you're a big part of Nick's Twitter. You can follow our guest at Tommy Beer. All right, let me let me flip it over to the Nets. Your best guess opening night this coming season. Um, who's on the team? Is it Durant? Is Durant on the team without Kyrie? Is Kyrie without Durant? Are they both on the team, or are neither of them on the team? You're asking me to predict what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving. Is that is that, <laughs> is that what I'm? Is that what you're um, I I would say that there's a high probability that neither Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving is on the team. I think they're going to trade KD. Um, my guess is he lands in either uh, Phoenix or Miami. Um, that's another interesting kind of component of the Donovan Mitchell. Does the, the, do the Heat use leverage against the Nets and or the Jazz kind of saying, listen, um, here's the package, you know, um, if you don't give us the deal for Durant, we're, we're going to target Mitchell and, and vice versa with Utah. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think uh, KD gets his wish and gets out of there. And then once with, with no Durant, um, you know, there's not really a reason to keep Kyrie around. Um, so I, I think they'll try to trade him. The one thing to keep in mind when it comes to the Nets, it's a very important factor, is the Houston Rockets control their draft for the next five years, uh, whether the picks outright or pick swaps. So the Nets can't go the Utah direction where they trade Gobert for four future first-rounders um, and, and basically just guys to make the contracts fit. The Nets need – obviously they're going to target you know future draft capital, but they also need guys that can come back and win games right away. They're going to try and make the playoffs. They're going to try and stay competitive um, because, quite frankly, they can't afford to bottom out. Um, so, so for that reason, I, I'd say they definitely would move Kyrie. Um, once KD's gone, but again, they're not just going to dump him for the sake of dumping. They're going to try to win games and you know maybe hold on to him through the All Star break, see if he can kind of boost his value a little bit, and then move him in February and see what they can get at that point. Well, he'd be an expiring contract, and if his head's yep. on straight and he's actually playing, he's still a valuable commodity. I mean, he's still an incredibly talented player. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, the the. It's it's amazing to think though the scenario you just pointed out they just lived through this and Sean Marks you know moved hell and high water to undo the mess from Billy King nine years ago where they tr- traded all their draft capital in Boston got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum out of it I mean it's amazing to think Tommy that this could happen again to this franchise 
a decade later. Isn't it? It, it, it's it's almost unbelievable. All the picks that they owe to the Rockets and the pick swaps are unprotected. I mean, it's just it's unfathomable that they wouldn't apply some type of protection, especially coming off what they just did. It's just a nightmare of grand proportions. And it just kind of one thing led to another. You know, once, you know, that, that they, they felt they had to trade for Harden because because uh, KD was going to be a free agent, and they traded for KD, and they got KD to sign an extension. But then the issues and the nonsense with Kyrie led to Harden being wanting out, which led to it just—it's an absolute mess, and it really, really is unbelievable um, that that they are in this position again. Um, that being said, they are going to get. We saw, as I mentioned, the the, the Jazz just got an incredible haul from Rudy Gobert, so the Nets are obviously going to want to top that. Um, so therefore. If, you know, especially with the deal with Phoenix, you know, whether that's a DeAndre Ayton, DeAndre Ayton sign and trade that includes Mikhail Bridges or, or Cam Johnson and some picks, the Nets are definitely going to get some players back. Um, you know, you get Joe Harris back healthy. Um, so, you know, and, and the wild card, of course, is Ben Simmons. What can he bring to the table? So it's a, a fascinating next few months in Brooklyn. Let me get you out of here on this two-part question. Give me a team around the NBA that you really like what they have done in the first 24 hours of free agency, and give me a team that has you scratching your head. I really like what Boston did today. Um, this is a team that was two wins away from, from a title. Um, they had Malcolm Brogdon uh, and Danilo Gallinari. With, you know, they signed Danilo Gallinari at a discount. And they got Brogdon um, without giving up any rotation players. Just Daniel, uh, Daniel Tice and Aaron Naismith, um, in addition to a 2023 first rounder. So, um, kind of the, the issues that uh, uh, that the Nets had in the finals was, you know, a lack of punch off the bench. Now you got Brogdon, um, who I think is an underrated guard. The question is, you know, health wise, can he stay healthy? But Nets can uh, the, the Celtics rather have the advantage of basically just keeping him healthy, and, and they can keep him on the shelf for like three or four months, and, and just hope that he's, you know near 100% once the playoffs arrive. Um, and Gallo's another guy that can provide some, you know, plenty of offense off the bench um, if and when they need it in, in the postseason. So I, I really like those moves. I think um, – I also like what the Bucks did, um, you know, adding Joe Ingles and, and, and just kind of rounding out their roster. So I, those, those two teams are my two favorites for the Eastern Conference. Um, if I had to pick a team that I didn't love what they did, um, I, I'd probably have to go with Minnesota, even though it's not directly free agency related. I, I think they just gave up way too much for Gobert. Um, is, will it be interesting to see how that experiment plays out with, with Carl Anthony Towns next to Rudy Gobert? Absolutely. I'm going to watch, um, and, and I'd love to see um, you know, if they can kind of make something work. But we've seen in the last few years that the, you know, the impact of a non-mobile big has really been reduced. Um, and we've seen that with centers that have had to basically um, see their, their market value slash than half. So um, it's a very big gamble by our buddy A-Rod and the folks out, out in Minnesota. So uh, they, everybody will keep an eye on that and, and see how it plays out. Because if it doesn't, um, the Jazz are in position to benefit with those three under, unprotected picks in 20, uh, 25, 27. And a 29, so uh, very interesting deal. Yeah, that was, that was surprising. I, I like Chris Finch. I think he's a good coach, so I'm, I'm interested to see what he does with Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert in the same front court. Me too. Tommy, great stuff, man. I know you've been doing the rounds, making the rounds today. Busy 24 hours for you. I appreciate you giving us a couple of minutes. Always time for you, buddy. Um, have a great weekend, Pat. You too. Happy 4th. Thanks a lot.
Tommy Beard does a great job covering the Knicks and covering the NBA. Again, he's the author and the host of the What's on Tap with Tommy Beard newsletter and podcast. When your last name is Beer, you can have a podcast with a name like What's on Tap. Pat O'Keefe with you Friday night here on ESPN New York. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, more of your calls here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Go to the phones and let's go to Pete and Lindenhurst. Pete, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, great show. Uh, you guys are hitting on so many good points tonight. Um, the Knicks. Uh, there's so many questions there, but I, I did. I did like the Brunson pickup. I did like the the um, uh, the guy from I think what was he from Sacramento? No, the Clippers. Um, I, I do like the uh, the second round pick from Duke. He looks like a he's young, but he looks like a smart player. Looks like a high IQ player. Um, just from watching his his passing and playmaking, um, just the uh, like you said, the rotation of the Knicks. Uh, like everybody wants wants uh, more guys, better guys. But like, what are we doing? And we also want to develop the guys, so we have to figure out what we're, you know, what he's uh, the coach is going to be doing. Tibbs is going to be doing with these guys. Um, no, I agree. I agree, Pete. Yeah. Thanks for the call. And that's pretty much it. And here, here's here's what the Knicks are right now. And, and, and Tommy Beer, who we just spoke with, you know, said he they're not done. They're they're in the process of, of building something. The way that you have to look at the Knicks right now is that they're better today than they were two weeks ago, with the addition of Jalen Brunson, with the addition of Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, the unloading of some salary. The problem with the Knicks is the first season was. Wonderful. We all know the first season under Rose and Tibbs was 41 and 31, number four seed in the Eastern Conference, first time in the playoffs since 2013. Brought the Garden back to life. It was a it was a great season, and and what made it really great was that it was unexpected. I, I the expectations were not for the Knicks to do that. Now, at the beginning of the season, beginning of last season, the one that just ended, the expectations were for them to improve upon that. Last offseason, they set out to try to improve on that 41-31 and 31 team. They brought in Evan Fournier. He did not fit Tom Thibodeau's system. They brought in Kemba Walker. He can't play defense anymore. He did not fit into Tom Thibodeau's system. Um, they re-signed Derrick Rose. He missed more than half the season with an injury. They re-signed Nerlens Noel for a lot of money for a backup center. He missed more than half the season because of an injury. So the Knicks' offseason last year was bad. So what they had to do during the draft this year, leading all the way up to free agency, was undo a lot of the mistakes of last offseason so that they could improve their team this season. That's why they were making so many trades with the 11th pick and then the 13th pick on draft night so they could unload the contract of Kemba Walker. Then they attached more picks with Noel and with Burks to unload those contracts to the Pistons. And then finally, that at least put them in position to sign the one player who they have coveted for a very long time. And at the one position that the Knicks have not been able to solidify for a very long time in Jalen Brunson. So that in itself makes them a better team. This Hartenstein guy is a Tom Thibodeau type of player. He plays hard. He rebounds. He'll play defense. He plays extremely hard. He fits the Tibbs mold a lot better than Fournier, a lot better than Kemba Walker, 
And that was a big reason why things went awry early last season. And if you notice, the Knicks played better towards the end of the season last year when Tibbs leaned a little bit more on the younger guys and started to adjust to things not really working out at the beginning of the season. Let's go to Spike in St. Pete. Spike, how you doing? Good, Pat. Good to talk to you. Have a, have a good holiday. Uh, if you're working, uh, I'll try and check in with you. i got a lot to say, so I'll keep it together. And I know you're, uh, you're well-rounded. Did Donovan Mitchell play with Brunson at Villanova, one of the championships? Do you no, remember? Mitchell, was, Mitchell went to Louisville. I'm sorry. Right. Mitchell went to Louisville. Okay. You're correct. That's okay. Okay. I like to pick up a Brunson. He has two championships. His timber is good. Uh, Cuban's out of his mind. You think she's on shock tank tampering? Come on. I mean, uh, this this the, the father who uh, another left-handed guy, and they're very heavily left-handed now. They're they got to do something about that. Uh, was coaching for him both in Chicago and Minnesota. If I if I'm right, yes, could be wrong. Okay, he's coached with Tibbs so, before, Rick Brunson. Yes, and they are very okay. left-handed. That's a good point. Yeah, they're two left-handed. Uh, that draft's turn. I don't know how Zion got that kind of contract. It's all showbiz to me. I think the kid's great, but he can't stay on the court. Nerlens was a sixth or seventh or eighth pick when he was touted to be one or two. Can't stay on the court. Played hard. You can't have – I don't know if they're going to sign – I know they're signing Mitchell or they're going to trade him. I don't know. Because there's, what's the Sims, his first name? I forget now. Jericho Sims. Okay, Jericho Sims looks more athletic. They both have no defensive, game, offensive game. So I don't know what they're going to do because Dallas still needs a big. Uh, they're not going anywhere without a big guy. That showed. Uh, Gobert went where? Minnesota. So that means Towns will be a, a power forward. He faces the basket anyway, and he can't move his feet on defense. Memphis may be the team on the rise. Unequivocally, because you know I study basketball, unequivocally uh, the West is blown right by the East again. Philadelphia needs to toughen it up. That's a great, great signing of P.J. Tucker. You can't, here's a guy you can't measure in stats, that's for sure. He's a winner. Probably played 150 playoff games. So here's where I stand with the Knicks. The two left-handed, uh, I'm not, take what I'm saying. I've said it on other programs too. I have I cast no aspersions. I have no ill will to any anybody on this planet as long as I've been on it. The coefficient drag, if you're a physics guy, which I am, Julius Randle was that last year. When you're in the league six, seven years, and you have an aberration like that, we all got fooled. We all got duped. He earned his money. He deserved that money. He played great in 85, 90% of the games. But the problem is he's a ball stopper. He he's not a catch-and-shoot guy. He has to create a shot, you know, bully ball. And he made the second amount of most difficult shots that year. That's why they didn't give him a max. I, I wanted them to hold off. I wanted to see it again. I, I wasn't convinced, but I was fooled. And I think we all were. Tatum and Randall, in the last two years, you can look it up, probably two of the top five in difficult shots. I'm not comparing the players, but you've got to get less left-handed. I love R.J. Barrett. I love the background, the father of St. John's, the Canadian but he, Randall and Barrett on the same side of the floor, getting bad habits. He can't shoot forty percent and, and be a three. He's got to, he's got to improve his shot selection. You know. So what I'm saying is, I don't think we're finished. I love the pick of Brunson. You got to get a catch and shoot guy. That's Fournier, but Fournier does nothing else. Nothing. 
So you got to get rid of him. What have you heard, or have you? Are they looking for someone? Because Alec Burks, I like a lot, but he's a utility guy. Very unfair what they did to him last year. You know that. To stick him as a point guard. He can't handle the ball. Alec Burks, so what Alec Burks Alec Burks. is a pro. And Spike, thanks for the call. Burks is a pro, and he was out of position the entire season. In some ways, I think that actually helps his versatility. Burks, I know he's in Detroit now. Burks is the perfect guy who's an eighth guy. He can come off the bench for a contending team. I think he's going to be fine. And to be honest, I think he actually even increased his value last season. I'm not, I'm not hung up on the Knicks being too left-handed. I mean, that's like a baseball thing to me. You know, the Yankees last year were too right-handed. I think that's um, an actual concern with Brunson and Randall and Barrett. It is interesting that their top three players are all left-handed, but who knows if those are going to be their top three players by the start of the season. I think they will be. But I also think that the Knicks still have their eyes and ears open for a potential trade with Julius Randle. I really do. Um, They tried at the trade deadline. They had serious talks with Sacramento involving De'Aaron Fox. It didn't come to fruition. They've had talks again since the season has ended, before the draft, before free agency began. The conversation continues. Look, we are 26 hours into NBA free agency, 26 and a half hours into NBA free agency right now. Let the dust settle a little. Let the chips fall a little. Let everybody take inventory and take stock of what they have, and then that's when you can re-engage and fine-tune your rotations in the weeks leading up to training camp. The Knicks, in the first 24 hours, I think, did very well for themselves. They brought in Hartenstein off the bench, who is a better fit with Tom Thibodeau than the guys they brought in last year. And most importantly, they brought in Jalen Brunson, uh, a winner, a competitor, a guy who has proven that he's better in the big spots. I mean, look, the first three games of the playoffs last year, Dallas did not have Luka Doncic, and they were going up against Utah, a tough team. They won two out of those three games, and Brunson was their best player. So the Knicks just signed a guy who was the best player on a team winning games in the playoffs. They didn't have that guy on their roster. The Knicks went to the playoffs the year before. Julius Randle was the best player. The Knicks only won one game in the playoffs. So now you bring in Brunson to lead everything and also his playmaking ability and his shot-making ability, and the team right there is better than it was two weeks ago. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show.